Welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. Uh, I am your host, Ray Gerard. With me in studio today, Mr. Robert Hennekes. Bob, welcome, welcome. Yeah, you, you got me. You get me shaking when you say Robert. That's what my mom used to say when uh, when I was in trouble. So I hear Robert and I twitch and quiver and whatnot. Almost, that's almost like the fear of God. Yes, close. <laughs> it, it was the fear of God. All right. Well, anyways, uh, and welcome to everybody listening. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, St. Paul were alive to, uh, on this earth today. That is how he would begin speaking to us. He would wish us true spiritual grace and heavenly peace. Now, what else would he say? What else would come from the heart of the man, the real heart of the man, who has been read by millions for thousands of years? And why should we even care? Well, answering these questions is what we are going to explore in the next hour, as we do every week. And this program is being brought to you in conjunction with the St. Joseph Radio uh, and the St. Joseph Evangelization Network, who kindly lend us their studios to record this broadcast. So today, we're going to talk about, um, I guess, a multitude of issues. Usually what we do on this program is we pick one issue and then try to relate it uh, to some uh, some reading, some teaching from St. Paul. Well, you know what? We just have a hard time picking. So today, we couldn't, we're not going to just pick out one. We're going to pick all of them. How are we going to do that? Well, well, we'll get to that. But before we do, we are actually going to start with a reading from St. Paul. And this reading is appropriate for the topic we picked simply because it answers all issues. This is what we believe St. Paul would tell us. We proclaim Christ and him crucified, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, the mystery hidden from ages and from generations past. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone. It is he whom we proclaim, for I hand on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. The one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If then you were raised with Christ, seek what is above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Think of what is above, not of what is on earth. Uh, our, if we're going to, I guess, give a title to our program today, it would be this, of first importance. That's it. Of first, of first importance. What is of first importance? This is of first importance. If you believe that Christ was killed, buried, and that he rose on the third day, your entire world changes. Everything changes. Nothing is the same after, after you come to a belief of that. And how does that then affect you? How will it not affect you? How will it affect what you do day to day? If you think that Christ was raised from the dead, and that he is seated at the right hand of God, and that he will come again, why aren't you going to be thinking about what you do in relation to that? If you could be raised with him, if he wants to bring you along with him to the Father, that changes everything. And if we think of what is above, not of what is on earth, on a daily basis, it changes everything. It answers all issues. Um, we're in a country nowadays where we have a lot of issues, we have a lot of problems, we have a lot of difficult things to deal with. I think principally among them is the fact that we don't get along with each other. We just don't. We've got, we've got crime, we've got, you know, we've got this problem, we've got another problem. But no matter what problems we have, if we got along with each other, we could get past them. So I've been married for a lot of years, it's 36 years now, and uh, I've raised two kids, 
And uh, there's one thing that I think always got us through. And that was that our, me and my wife Diane always worked as a team. We always could work together. We always saw eye to eye. I mean, yeah, we had times when, you know, things, you know, were not the best. But those weren't for very long. And we always got through them. And when we had to deal with other people, whether it was kids, in-laws, whatever, her family, my family, whatever, you know, the one thing that we could both count on is that we were together. We got along. Uh, we saw eye to eye. And that was, that was a tremendous help. And as a country, if we have to deal with, you know, problems from other nations, you know, this, that, you know, whatever it has to be, if we were a country together, people together, people united, even if it was only on some things, even if we differed on some things, but at least we're united on some basic things, we could get through anything. But right now we're not. So, yeah, today's program is about what is of first importance. You know, we, we talk about a lot of things that St. Paul says in his writings. But that's it. I mean, if, you were, if you're going to ask him to synopsize in a very short little space what it is that, it, you know, what it is that, that describes his message, I think he would just simply say, we proclaim Christ. And him crucified. And, uh, and truly believe it, Ray, because if you say it, that's one thing. But if you truly believe that that's true, if you truly believe that that's real, your life changes and you become a different person. And the crucifixion and the resurrection is first and most important. And everything else, political issues, um, family issues, uh, educational issues, all fall behind that. And because it is such a powerful thing, because it is God, we have room to accept people that are different, that have different views, different beliefs. And your political views take a back seat. And you love the person that's next to you. And you don't want to hurt them or harm them or upset them because you love our Lord. And our Lord shows us what that is by loving us more than we could ever imagine. And then we can quit disliking people just because they say something that irks us. And we can get to know them. We can get to love them. We can get to understand them. We may disagree, but that would be okay. So how many times has somebody in your family said something with which you disagree? All, all the time. <laughs> all the time. Maybe every day. Right. Um, how, many, how many times has, you know, have... You come to loggerheads with somebody in your family. How, how, many, you know, how many families are there where, you know, there are certain people that just can't stand, you know, the other person? Uh, I was talking with some people yesterday, and they were describing just that sort of situation. And, you know, certain members of the family they haven't talked in years, and now they're talking, but it is the hugest, you know, strain. They're doing it through gritted teeth, and... They're playing a, a, a bit of a facade. I mean, they're pretending the past didn't happen. There's, you know, there's a, one person is waiting for another to apologize, even though the other person thinks there was never anything to apologize for, if, or if there should be an apology, it should come from the other person. And, and so in order to enable themselves just to talk to one another, they're just going to, I guess, pretend the past didn't happen. But none of them have forgotten the past, so it's always right there. So they're playing this little facade, and so that's why they're talking to one another but through gritted teeth. Well, okay, that's progress. I mean, that, that's better than it was before. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, they, they just they, they don't get along. But because they're family, they feel some need. It's like, well, we should be doing something. And even if I really don't want to, I should be talking to this other person you know, for the sake of the other people in the family, to make other people in the family happy, whatever. Well, yeah, how about doing that as a nation? What would, if we are all part of a family, and we are, what's going to keep us, uh, what's, what's going to keep us from splitting completely apart? I mean, what's, what, what is going to cause us to feel as, as these people I'm talking about felt? That there's some need, there's something 
bigger than them, you know, in this case, the family, what is it that's bigger than them that's going to cause them to do something they really don't want to do and to talk to this other person? What, I mean, you need that. You need something bigger than yourself. You need to know that you're all, you all are part of a bigger family. And what can do that other than, other than God, other than Christ? And, and God's forgiveness. Because, you know, I, I know for myself and most people I meet, even if you get along really well with somebody, a good friend, a best buddy, whatever, one of you is going to say something, do something. We're human beings. We err. We make mistakes. And if we allow that to separate us, then there's going to be great difficulty. You're going to have to get through that. But if you believe in God, if you have God as your basis and the scriptures as your basis, there's all kind of answers in there. Like put your gift to God down and go make amends with your brother before you deliver your gift. You don't want to go down on go to sleep on your anger. You don't want to allow those things to fester. All of those are answers that are in the scriptures in the Bible that are absolutely wonderful to understand and, and follow. But we as humans, it me as a human, I get my back up. I know I'm right. That other person's wrong. They're a nutcase. Why should I apologize? Why should I, right? Each of us has those kind of excuses. And it's hard for us in our human nature, me and my human nature, to let those things go unless I truly believe in God, in which case I understand from him that I need to let those things go. And we do. And we need to, to let those things, we do need to let those things go. But, I mean, how often do we do that? Uh, not often enough. You know, I did a couple of uh, Google searches, Internet searches, and, boy, I found some stuff. Uh, the, you know, the first page I tried, it was really not hard at all. For example, I found a piece called, this is the title, Yes, I hate Republicans, and no, I will not apologize. And then I found another article. Again, I mean, this was just quick. I mean, I didn't, within the first, you know, half a dozen things I looked at. And the title of this one is, Democrats really are the worst people on the planet. There you go. There, you know, we are, I think we're living in a country, in a society where increasingly we're not talking to one another. We're like people in a family who said, you know, I haven't talked to one another for years. And if this just goes on, you know, what's, what's going to come of it? You know, what, I mean, how, how many, you know, listen to people or, or know people that have these kinds of really pronounced attitudes? Maybe you're one of them. But uh, for those of us who maybe aren't so familiar with this, what are they, you know, what, what do they feel? What's fueling this? Um, you know, for example, I found an, this, this article that I found. Yes, I hate Republicans, and no, I will not apologize. It was written by a woman called Cameron Wassell. It was written within a few days of the election in 2016 after Trump was uh, elected president of the U.S. She was a student at the time at Pennsylvania State University. And uh, she was the one who wrote this piece. Yes, I hate Republicans. No, I will not apologize. She said... There are two kinds of Republicans, the ignorant and the evil. Uh, either they are uninformed and dumb or, of the were, or aware of the world and other cultures other than their own and just too corrupt or bigoted to care. She said, this current election cycle has only increased my deep-seated hatred for the right-wingers even more. And I can't help myself. But whenever I find out someone who I have been talking to or have been friends with is a Republican, I let out an audible, uh, really? I cannot hide my disgust. This opinion, she talks about the opinion of Republicans, and she says, um, she characterizes uh, the opinion uh, that Republicans have as this. I don't think gays, people of color, women, women matter. That's what, she, uh, that's what she describes as the opinion of uh, Republicans. And then she says, I'm going to fight you on that. And I'm going to fight with passion because that is not an opinion. That is not hate. Uh, and, uh, and she talks about uh, people who elected Trump. And she says, by doing that, by electing him, you Trump supporters have passively endorsed heartlessness. You are passive bigot. You are passive racist. You are allowing it to happen. 
you, my right-winged friends, are allowing the racists and misogynists to come out of the shadows. You are allowing this culture of hatred to come alive. You are the problem. You specifically might not be a bigot, but the bigots are on the same side as you. Uh, she ends her piece by saying, so yeah, I'm going to judge you if you voted for Trump, and I'm going to be petty, and I'm going to continue to hate you until you stop hating the majority of America. I hate, hate. Well, there's an awful lot of hate in that piece. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, probably the most revealing little piece of this, to me was where she says, I can't help myself. But whenever I find out someone who I have been talking to or have been friends with is Republican, I cannot hide my disgust. I let out an audible, ugh. Then she, I mean, and I've, you know, uh, read and come across people who will simply say that they cut off all contact with, you know, people on the other side of the, of the political aisle. So here she's... She, she has people that she calls friends, people whom she likes, but people who have different political views, and then she can't abide them anymore. Isn't that the, what she's saying? Isn't that the definition of bigotry, of, of not you know, choosing something about someone, generalizing about who they become because of that issue, and then saying, I don't care for them, I hate them, I don't want to be around them. That's, in essence, bigotry, which I think we want to get rid of. I, I, I think we want to find out who an individual is, and I think we want to love all individuals, right? I, I, I think each one of us should have a desire to love all of God's creatures. God made every person, every person to be loved, and that is what he asks us to do. To hate somebody because they're a Republican or because they're of a different race or because they're of a different sex or because they're of a different sexual orientation, whatever it is, is absolutely the wrong thing to do. Whether it's a Republican, whether it's somebody of a different sex or race or anything else, it's got to be love that, that generates the emotion, not hatred and angst because someone's not the same as us. And she admits this. She admits that she's generalizing. She admits that she's categorizing. She admits that she's discriminating. But she doesn't care. I mean, she's very open about it in, the, in this article of hers. Now the question comes up, well, what if you have a brother, a sister, mother, wife, child, somebody close to someone you care about, just somebody close to you, and they hate somebody else? You know, somebody else at school, somebody they work with, somebody else in the family. They hate this person. Okay. So then this person that's close to you, what do you do? Do you cut them off? Okay, you hate somebody else, so now I'm going to hate you. If we do that, where does that end? It doesn't end. The Middle East has been living with that for a thousand years or more. Um, yeah, it is the antithesis of the Christian model. There was a, um, a play, Fiddler on the Roof, a play about a Jewish community more than 100 years ago in Russia that was being moved out, right? And in the play, um, he comes up with a line where they want, they're trying to decide, do they fight? What do they do against the injustice that's coming on? And the phrase comes out, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then the lead actor, whose name is Tevye in the, in, the, in the play, says, yes, and then the whole world would be blind and toothless. <laughs> and the answer is that's where it ends up. Right. If you dislike someone because they're of some category and hate them because of that category, that list is going to get pretty big and pretty long pretty quick, and there's going to be lots of issues, as opposed to, putting that aside, your political differences or whatever they are, and getting to know who that person is. Maybe they're scarred by someone who is of that ethnicity or that party or that gender, and they are really hurt. You don't want to dislike them because they're in those ways. You want to understand them so that you can help them with that deeper issue, that thing that is causing their heartache, their pain, their hatred, and get past this 
surface level thing that you're talking about, whatever it is. There's people that hate others because they're from a different nation. I don't like everyone from Panama. And the only reason I say Panama is that's relatively obscure. How can you not like somebody from Panama? They're wonderful people. When I went there to visit, it's crazy. You're, put, you're setting yourself up for failure, and it's done because of some hurt that you have in your life or your heart. And God is the answer to all of those hurts. You know, a lot of times you'll, you'll find, and I've had this in my family, where the children of alcoholics turn out to be alcoholics. You'll find situations where people have been abused as a child, abuse children. You'll find a lot of that sort of thing where people end up repeating these problems. Well, if you hate somebody because they hate, it's just going to be similarly just a never-ending cycle. It is the opposite of the Christian message. Supposing you take an example where someone is hated and then they love in return. Well, now you can change things. That's, that's the message of Christ and Christ crucified. That's when, you know, that, that's, that is the primary, the biggest example that we have where somebody forgave people who murdered him. He forgave them, having suffered you know, tremendous pain. And that was the model. That is the model for all of us. And if we're hating because other people hate, we're not following the model. We should love in response to hate, not hate in response to hate. We are forgetting Christ. And if Paul were here today, he would say to us, I preach Christ and him crucified. You know, one of the ironies that, um, that comes about is there are people, as Christ is dying and forgiving all of those around him, the soldiers that are crucifying him, right, the people that are crucifying him, he, he does all of that. He forgives them. And yet there are people that somehow hold Christ's death against the Jewish community, which was the group of people that asked for his crucifixion. You can't like Christ and the way he is and love him and adore him and then say, but it's okay to discriminate against the people that caused his pain. Christ himself wouldn't do that. He forgave them so that we should always forgive those that hurt us, right? It's, it, it seems crazy. But that's exactly what goes on. You cannot take what one group of people does and hate all of those people because of that. You've, you've got to learn, get to know the, each one. And then I go beyond that. Usually folks that are out hurting others have been hurt deeply themselves, like you said. An alcoholic picks that up. A child abuser picks that up. And they hurt others because they have been hurt themselves. We have got to figure out how to help and not to hate how to bring them around. Yeah, yeah what you're saying is you can't use hate to justify hate. Right. And yet, that is exactly how this student from Pennsylvania State back in 2016 justified her hatred. She says, I hate hate. So I'm going to hate people because I say, in, you know, her, in her view, they hate. I hate hate, so I, and so I hate people. You're using hate to justify hate. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a contradiction. It's a contradiction in, in terms. You, look, supposing, supposing you hate somebody. I mean, this, this, this Pennsylvania student hates somebody. So by her own rationale, then other people then are justified in hating her. Right. And so, and so whoever hates her then is justified in being hated by others. I, and what you're saying, Bob, is, is absolutely true. That, that quote from Tevye, um, where does it stop? You're going you to have a world full of people hating people. The only thing that can stop it is to reverse that trend, is to answer it with love. And that is the Christian message. But, of course, you know, this, this discussion that we're having doesn't just apply to just one side of the aisle. Like I said, I found these two, I found two articles and I found them very quickly. It's not like I had to you know, try very hard. So let's go to the other side of the political aisle. Here's a piece by a guy named Derek Hunter. He apparently 
Uh, he wrote on a website called townhall.com. Uh, the first article by uh, Cameron by the Pennsylvania State student was on a place called Odyssey Online, whatever. Anyway, so this person writing on townhall.com, a guy named Derek Hunter. Apparently he has a podcast uh, so on a ra- and a host of a daily radio show on some station in Maryland, WCBM in Maryland. Anyways, oh, author of the book Outrage, Inc. Oh, okay, fine. Anyways, so here's a guy, and he writes this article. Democrats really are the worst people on the planet. Well, what does he say? He talks about uh, media pundits on uh, places like MSNBC, and he says, there are highly paid idiots who have been promoted beyond their talent and educated beyond their intelligence. They know what their job is, to keep the angry, well-to-do, and largely white left-wing audience angry. Anger ensures they'll be back to find out what the people they hate will do next, if they change the channel at all. He says, you'd expect this from media Democrats and random House members. So dumb, they're lucky breathing is a reflex, or they'd forget how to do it. He says, he's not done, he's got more to say. He says, so, uh, excuse my language, uh, this, is, this is not an easy thing to say, but I'm going to read what he wrote. So to hell with these people. I mean, to wish that on anybody. That, I mean, yeah, okay. Um, yet another opportunity was squandered in the left's pursuit of power. How far will they go? They're simply the worst people ever. He hates. Yeah, he and what, whatever your political lean is, it surely should not be a forum for hate. Whatever causes one to become a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or a Green Party member, whatever causes that for them to choose that party should not be a vehicle for hatred. It ought to be a vehicle to have a conversation. There were wonderful Republicans and Democrats that spent their life trying to figure out, knowing that the country would be split and trying to decide how to put things together to make the best for all, as opposed to, I'm right, you're wrong, it's got to be my way, or I'm going to nuke you. I'm going I'm to knock you over. What can we do between the two parties to make the United States the best and make it a country that helps others, that helps our own people, and that helps others and leads others? We've, it's almost like we've forgotten that, that it's not about my party. It's about my nation and my friends and my people and taking care of them, not hurting them, not harming them, helping them to the best of our ability. That's what it should be about instead of, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm good-looking, you're ugly, I'm smart, you're stupid. That is not what the, the whole thing should be about. It should be about taking care of one another and helping one another. You know, there's this uh, principle in the Catholic faith called uh, subsidiarity. And it's a way of looking at uh, how governments and organizations and societies, small groups, should uh, operate. And basically what it says is that you start with the smallest level. You start with things at the smallest level. And if we're going to heal a nation or a society from this hatred, first of all, if we all agree that hatred is not the way to go, and we're going to try to figure out how we're going to heal that problem. You have to start on the smallest level. You have to start with each individual person. It's a matter of your own personal conscience, your own personal morals, your own personal uh, behaviors. You start there. If you don't start there, you can't go any farther. How are you possibly going to organize what's right for a bunch of people if you're acting in a way that's wrong? You indiv- individually, just just you yourself, can't do it. You can't do it. You don't. Know, you're not going to know what you're talking about. So, anyways, uh, now there is some good news. There is some good news. There is a survey that was put out by a group called the Trafalgar Group, and uh, they asked this question to a bunch of, I think, likely voters. And uh, the question was, you're going to have to wait for it because it's a good question. Anyways, the question was. You want a drum roll? uh, Yes, please. You got one? He does have one. Uh, The question is, 
How important are the moral lessons found in the holidays of Easter and Passover to ensuring a strong America for future generations? There's a lot of talk you know, about these so-called Christian values, and we really don't need them. And the one Christian value we're talking about is, hey, how about you know, love, not hate? Uh, excuse me, there's a whole 60th generation that said peace, not war. You know, same idea. Anyways, um, so that's just one Christian value. And so they asked a whole bunch of people, you know, how important are the moral lessons found in the holidays of Easter and Passover? What is Easter? What are the what are the moral lessons found in Easter and Passover? I mean, I mean, I guess Passover. You start with start with hey, there is a God. Uh, that's just one uh, Easter. Uh, yeah, love, not hate. Anyways, um, so what was the response when they asked all these likely voters this question? Well, across the board, the overall result was 72.6% said important. 72% of the more lessons found in the holidays of Easter and Passover are important to ensuring a strong America. Seventy-two percent. What is what has religion got to do with a strong America? This country was built on the idea that there is no one religion, uh, that the government is not going to establish any one religion. The government's not going to favor any one religion over another. The government's going to be neutral on the subject of religion. Okay, so why would we say that? These lessons from these religious holidays are important for America. Well, it's, it's like you were talking about earlier, Bob. It doesn't matter who you are. You deserve respect. You deserve not to be hated. That's what this country is built on. We're a melting pot. We accept everybody. And that's the message that is preached by people who say they're champion tolerance, whether they're on the left or on the right. The people on the right claim that the people on the left are intolerant in certain ways, and the people on the left, vice versa, same thing. Um, you know, so anyways, uh, 72%, 72% said that this country basically is in line with that idea that you accept everybody. And, you know, there's this woman who says she hates, you know, she hates hate. I mean, that's what she's fighting for, to accept everybody. And you're very right for pointing out that that's very ironic coming from her. But anyways, and the guy on the right, this this so this podcaster, uh, you know, same you know same thing. He's like, well, I'm moral. I got to champion morality. And these people who are on the other side, they're the most immoral people in the world. And how can they be the most immoral people in the world if what they're champion is the acceptance of everybody? So yeah, no, it just never, never, never makes any sense. Anyway, seventy-two percent. Uh, said important. All right, let's dig down a little bit further. Uh, among Republicans, let's see, the response rate to this was 85%. In the, among the Democrats, 57%. So guess what? Majority of Republicans and Democrats agree on something. Among independents, uh, the response rate was right in line with the overall result, 75.5%, very close to the 72. So uh, now, how about you go through maybe some uh, demographics and some, uh, you know, some, some ethnic numbers and dig in a little bit deeper, okay? Well, who th people who thought in the 18 to 24 age group, 73.5%, again, very close to the actual, the overall results, 73.5%. More lessons from Easter and uh, Passover are important for the future of the country. 735 in the 18 to 24 age group. Among Asian Americans, 79.5. Among black Americans, two-thirds, 66.5. Among Hispanics, 71.5. It didn't matter whether yeah. you're Republican, whether you're Democrat, whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're young, whether you're... Everybody agrees that these moral lessons from Easter and Passover, Easter and Passover, are important to the future of the country. Paul were alive today, wouldn't he say, why would he not say, I preach Christ and him crucified? Because when you preach Christ crucified, what you also preach is Christ on Easter, the risen Christ, the resurrected Christ. You also preach the resurrection, the fact that he's crucified, 
means that there is a happy ending to the story. A happy ending to the story. Guess what? Hate did not triumph. He has eternal life because he loved in the face of hatred. And Paul's message continues, look, if you believe, you can be saved as well. If you follow that principle, if you respond to hate with love, you can be saved as well. You can live in a world of love as opposed to be damned to a world and existence of perpetual hate. Because that's what you're creating uh, in a society where you say hatred justifies hatred. You've got perpetual hate. Um, and, and you truly do not want that going on. And, and it's, Ray, it is almost a natural human response to feel as if you have to pay back evenly whatever comes your way, right? So in some of these are good things. If someone lends you money, you have to pay them back that money, and maybe there's some interest involved, that sort of thing, but you have to pay them back. You feel that responsibility, and those are probably good things to occur, right, to pay someone back. But when someone hits you or violates you, you want to pay them back. You want to make sure you get even, and I know that's me. I, you know, I, I'm, I want to make sure that three other people don't hit me. So if somebody hits me, I'm, I'm going to take them back on and show that it's going to be a battle or a fight. Those are very normal beliefs for us. We, we feel that way. Yet Christ did not. I, you know, as we've got, just gone through the, both the Holy Thursday, that in fact, it started with Palm Sunday, but then Holy Thursday and Good Friday services, when the high priest guard smacks Jesus square in the head because he didn't think he had said kind words to the high priest. Jesus looks at him and said, why did you strike me? He didn't strike him back. He didn't swing. He didn't start a riot. He simply asked, why are you doing that? Why are you, why are you hitting me? And we need to follow Christ in that way. Uh, but that's hard for us. We are sure. human beings. It's very hard. You want to fight back to make sure you are not picked on. You are not pushed around. You are not hurt in any way. And that seems like the, the best, best attack many times as opposed to Christ's loving embrace as those kind of things happen. So I'll give you another uh, scriptural excerpt. So there's a, uh, a part where St. Paul, now we didn't uh, quote this uh, reading from St. Paul, although we quoted just about everyone, everything else he said. Um, that reading we gave you earlier was not an actual reading from St. Paul, and yet it was. Uh, it was a, just a compilation of small excerpts from 10 different uh, pieces of, of letters that he wrote. So we put together pieces from 10 different places in his writings. Uh, but you know, they, but, but you can do that with what he wrote because the things he wrote, I mean, they all, um, I mean, they, they all fit together. It's all very consistent. And, and why wouldn't it be? It's, it's this message of love versus hate, as we're, as we're talking about. But to go to, like I said, something else that he wrote that we didn't uh, quote, he said something strange. He said, God proved his love for us in and that while we were still sinners, you know, he gave his life for us. You're right, Bob. It is the natural human way of thinking to pay back for what you've received. If you, yeah, if someone lends you money, you want to pay it back. If someone does something good to you, you want to be good back to them. Likewise, if someone is uh, bad to you, you want to be bad in return. You want to return love for love and hate for hate. But wasn't it, wasn't it Christ who said, hey, you know, what, what value is there in that? If all you do is give back in accordance with what you receive, what, you know, there's, there's a, people talk about a value-added proposition. What value do you add to the, what, what value do you add to the overall proposition if that's all that you do? You're not creating anything of your own. You know, people talk a lot about, in modern economic circles, modern philosophical circles about self-actualization. you got to find yourself. Well, you know, what is it that you are making uh, yourself to be? What is it that you're 
composing? What are you creating? And we like to talk about creating ourselves, whether it's um, deciding our own gender or anything else. Well, what are you actually creating if all you are doing, what original act do you bring to the table if all you ever do is reflect what it is you've received? In order to create, you have to love. Um, you know, there's, um, you know, there, there is this, this good news that, you know, if we do love, we will also pay that back with other love. That's the good news. The flip side, of course, is, as we've been talking about this whole program, if you receive hate and then hate back, then we're just going to have a vortex of, of hate. So you, get, you can have a vortex of hate. You can have a vortex of love. You know, there's only one way to keep from having two vortexes that, you know, never meet or just, you know, having some never-ending um, cycle of events of which we have no control. And that is to break the cycle to respond to love, uh, excuse me, respond to hate with love, which is, that is the Christian message. That is the message of Easter. That is why something, what we're talking about is so morally important for this country. And, you know, and of course, yeah, it's morally important. It is morally important for this country. Guess what? It's also morally important for any country, anybody everywhere. It's a universal truth. Anyways, um, I'm going to submit um, a little example of this, um, an example of what we've been talking about. And it's a poem. And it's a poem about a person walking just amongst a group of people. And it's called Walking in a Courtyard. And the poem reads like this. Walking in a courtyard in faces of a wave, breathing in new a care so to crave, seeing but hearts with looks to no regard, knowing that each lives a story part marred. To first let's let each pass, for paths even meet, was a need felt deep, an ache oddly sweet. Sore of no chance, their doubts and cares to greet, fearful only the feeling would be fleet. Passing next a sun at its setting low, noting it spun round, a reddish glow, knowing not the morning star, then near so, ending a day between the hills, a time go. It's a poem about a very momentary event. I think it was somebody feeling the true sense of the word charity. In the Catholic faith, we have certain primary theological values, faith, hope, and charity. Yes, faith is necessary. Hope is necessary. I mean, if you don't have hope, if you don't think, don't think of things of the earth, but, you know, think of what's above, that's hope. Um, if you don't have faith, you've got to have belief in God and belief in Christ. But as St. Paul also says somewhere else, you know, the greatest virtue that you can have is love, charity. That's what is meant uh, by, the, you know, by, the, by the Catholic uh, doctrine of charity. It's love. Charity means true compassion for every other soul. And I think this person experienced that just walking in a courtyard. It only took, it was only for a few moments. And as the, uh, the poet says, he was fearful that the feeling would be fleet because it was different, I would imagine, than how this person had felt, you know, in hours, days, months, years uh, of, uh, of that person's life otherwise. It was a new kind of a feeling. He says, breathing in new, a care, so to crave. Um, seeing but hearts with looks to no regard. Yeah, accepting everyone. And knowing behind each face, there was some kind of a, a life story that in some part had been marred. Everybody has troubles. And then the person talks about to first lest let each pass for paths even meet. I mean, stepping aside, not wanting to even disturb somebody else, not to get in somebody else's way, not disturb them for even a, 
in a split portion of a second. And that, that was a need felt deep, an ache oddly sweet. And sore, the, 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 the soreness that this person felt um, was that their doubts and cares to greet, sore of no chance, their doubts and cares to greet. He would, these people were passing by in this crowd. He had no chance to talk with each one of them, find out, you know, what are their doubts, their cares, um, you know, and, you know, feeling, you know, just uh, the fear that that particular moment wouldn't last very long, that that feeling of caring for other people in a way that that person hadn't experienced before. I mean, now you're talking about, um, I guess, a real sense of the fact that we are all connected. We are all part of a family. We're connected by something much bigger than ourselves, some spiritual, I don't know, I, well, I mean, I can say some, but it's not just some spiritual reality. It is the body of Christ. That's, um, that's what it would be like to feel, I think, in a, in, a, in a way, true compassion for people you don't know, but it wouldn't matter who they are. Faces of, I mean, looks to no regard. Uh, old, young, black, white, whatever, tall, short, whatever. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. wouldn't matter at all. You know, to me, God is our father. I think of God as my, my parent and try to look up to him, try to make him proud, try to follow him, follow his example, right, all difficult. And I think it's a wonderful relationship because we as parents hope to do the same things with our kids. We hope to love them and hope that they follow the things that we teach them, that sort of thing. And to me, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that hit I think when I had children for the first time, and I know my brother shares this, but when a child cries, you don't fight back and cry at the child, <laughs> right? When, when a child screams, you don't scream back. You don't teach them how to do that. When a child throws food, you don't pick up your food and throw it at the child. All things that you understand that this person that you love is not where you are and does things out of not understanding, right? They just do not know quite what to do. They feel some frustration and they vent that frustration. Yet when somebody on the street does that and says, I hate all Democrats, there's a feel that you have to fight back against them and as opposed to saying, no, I don't. I, I don't have to fight back against them. I have to love them, just like I loved my children, just like God loves us. Um, I, I, I think we just miss so often that somehow we have to square up every moment of every day as opposed to be willing not to be even, not to be on top, but to follow what Christ said, which is to give of ourselves to help our brother or our sister in need. I wish we could do that more often. I wish I could do that more often. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a hard task because it seems to be innate in our human nature, yet that's what God's asking us to do, to push away the human nature and to seek the divine, to follow our Lord and, and stay away from what is here with us on earth, shed those earthly bonds and be divine. You know, you bring up something else, which is, so when you have a child and it can act out and yet the parent does not throw food in response, does not scream in response. Sometimes parents do. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> yep. But um, there are many times when a parent would not. So when a child acts out and does not receive as it gave, it receives love in exchange for anger or hate or whatever. What does that do in the child? Does it not create just an immense sense of security? You bet. If the child received, and this is what does cause problems with a lot of children, if the child received anger and responds for anger, if the child cries and then, you know, a child yells and then, you know, screams and then the parent screams back, it's receiving anger in, in, in return. What's that going to do to the child? Uh, that child's not going to feel secure. That child is going to feel a need to then scream more or 
you know, return that kind of um, anger, that kind of hostility mm-hmm. towards siblings or somebody else. And uh, in, in the contrast, if it feels love, then it feels security. It feels peace. Peace is, yeah, the lack of peace is really the enemy. When everything is, is fast, when nothing is slow, and when everything is fast and things seem not to be in order, there's no peace. And, uh, and then all kinds of you know, problems can, can enter in. That's why you know, it is so important what you're talking about, Bob, in, in, in the way the parents react to children is to create that sense of security in a child because that will affect that child for the rest of its life. If it feels that it's loved, that the child, if a child feels it's loved by its parents, that's going to last for its life. And contrast, if it doesn't, that's going to last for the rest of its life. We can do great damage. We can do great damage to children at very young ages. Um, so, um, it's 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 just another way of of saying what we've said before is that. There are these vortexes, there are these cycles that will continue unless we do something to intervene. And what needs to intervene is love, which comes from the example of Easter, which comes from Christ and him crucified. Well, that's our, that's our program this time around. And uh, we're going to close this particular program and end this program like we do all our programs, and that is with a prayer. And we're going to ask Bob to help us with that. So if you would now, please, Bob. In the name of the Son, and of the, of the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful time of year this is. The time of year where each of us reflects back on our life, where we are, and understand the cruel injustice that occurred to Jesus, but it ended up being justice for us. It allows us to have an eternity with you. He opened the gates of heaven by coming and dying on the cross for each one of us. Allow us to truly grasp that idea, the love that Jesus gave, unselfish, completely giving to each one of us, that he had that and he gave that to us and he continues to have that and wants to give that to us. Allow us to understand that meaning of love, the desire for us to spend eternity with him, and allow us to begin to make the earth our human place, a place that is built on love, on caring and taking care of one another, and remove from us the desire to create anger and hatred. Allow us truly to follow your wonderful example, who is your son, who is you. The two of you with the Holy Spirit are together in union. Allow us to understand that and always look up to the cross to know that his love was there for every day of our life. We pray all this in the wonderful and glorious name of that Son, who is Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.